0: in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. Our guidelines for living this morning comes from 1 Peter 1, verse 14. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then, but now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say you must be holy because I am holy. Let's stand together and continue to worship our great God as
1: we come. Now is the time to worship. i
0: The Everlasting Arms was written in 1887 by Elisha Hoffman. Deuteronomy 33, 26-27 says, There is no one like the God of Jeshurun who rides on the heavens to help you and on the clouds in his majesty. The eternal God is your refuge and underneath are the everlasting arms. He will drive out your enemy before you, saying, Destroy him. Father in heaven, we just want to thank you that we have strong arms to lean on your arms. We are so blessed because all the times that we struggle, we know those arms are there carrying us through the difficulties of life. We thank you, God, for that. We give to you out of gratitude from our hearts, both material and with our lives, Jesus, to give thanks to you for all the blessings you have given to us.
1: And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen.
0: Let's come before the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, it is so great to be in your presence right now, to be able to speak with you and to talk to you about our earthly problems and difficulties that we go through. We pray especially for our president and all the challenges that uh, our administration has right now, Lord. We think of the borders, we think of all the uh, challenges with Russia and China and all the things that are going on behind the scenes that we don't even are aware of. We pray also to Father God about the different challenges uh, that are in um, our lives, Father God. We think especially for the people that we know in our congregation that are going through difficult things and also in our community. We pray for an officer that was shot, um, Kyle, that, Lord, you'll continue to be with him as he's had two surgeries this week already and many more. I pray, Lord, that you'll be with him and uh, reconstruct Um, his face and his mouth and his ability to talk. We pray for his legs also, too, Lord. I just pray for a full and complete healing that he can get back to the the love that he has, to bring justice to the community, just be with his family. And for those that were involved in the shooting, Lord, that are still uh, carrying with them um, flashbacks and things that they saw and watching him get shot, that's been a real... Uh, challenge for them, Lord. And I just pray for healing for them. Heal their hearts and their minds. We pray also too for the other officer that um, is in the hospital that you'll bring healing to him too. And Father, I pray last night uh, for the family that I ministered to up in the north end that you'll be with them and the loss of their mother. Pray also too for those in our congregation for Lucille and her struggles and Kay. I pray for Howard um, and also Betty, for Betty's leg as she had the knee operation. We pray also too for Joyce and her back and Mary for her back and um, for Kevin, Lord. We pray also too, Father God, for Ryan and Jordan and David and Brady and Eric and Ricky, all those who are drug addicts who are struggling And for Mitch, Lord, who's got not only an addiction, but also is trying to fight cancer in his throat. I pray also, too, for my cousin Tom, as he continues to go through uh, his um, body, accepting that uh, uh, kidney, and and also, um, Lord, that his liver doesn't reject his body either. I pray also, too, Father God, uh, for the Davis family, You know their issue, you know, um, for some friends that I know that are having some family problems and marital problems, just be with them during this time and bring healing to their hearts. And Father, for others that we know of that um, our concerns are for, and we think especially uh, for Frank right now, Lord, as um, uh, he is on hospice right now and for his last breath of this life, Lord, just be with him, Lord. And I thank you for the hope that he has in his heart and the faith. And be with his family, with Carol and their children and grandchildren as they sit around his bedside, Lord. And um, as they lift up our hearts for his healing, we know that also, too, we've been told it's his time. And if that is so, Lord, uh, we pray, Lord, that you'll make his time easy. And, And, Father God, too, um, I want to pray for Ann Gommin's family who lost her mother this week and we buried her. I just pray be with them also in that time. And now, Father God, be with us as we hear your words. Speak to our hearts. Help everyone to leave here with something on their minds and hearts. That, Lord, they can use in their week and that they can live for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Mother came to a youth pastor who was concerned about her daughter because her daughter was not keeping her room clean, and she was upset about it. So she asked the youth pastor what she can do, and the youth pastor thought a minute, and he said, you know, I've got an idea. And so he got the youth group together that night and said that he was going to come over to everybody's house in the youth group and take a picture of their room to see what it, how well it was taken care of. And he was going to post it in the lobby of the church and put it out on Facebook. And boy... Her mother called him two days later and said, what did you say to them? Because her room is spotless. How did you do it? And then he shared with her what he had said. Well, Peter is doing that right now to the churches in Southeast Asia. He's trying to get them to be ready for the time of their accountability when Christ returns. And if you remember in the first letter, Peter spoke to the church and encouraged them because they were being persecuted and reminded them that they were children of their heavenly father and that they also um, were bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, the lamb, and that the Holy Spirit was going to go with them wherever they go. And that he encourages them all through the books and also tells them that they're going to have trials. And those trials are going to be melting spots in their life to get rid of the garbage out of their lives so that Jesus can be seen in them more purely in the trials that we go through. Peter's a great book for those who are going through trials and difficulties in their lives because he really gives us the idea of what God does to sanctify us and also to show Jesus through our lives and through the trials. But then he comes on writes a second book because there were false teachers had crept into the church. And Peter talks about God and his sovereignty and why he allows that to happen. But he also talks about the authority of the word of God and how important. And then in chapter 2, he talks about these false teachers and all the things that they will do. And how they will wind up like pigs. They go to slop. Or like dogs who will return to their vomit. And that the day of the Lord will come and they will give an accounting for who they are. And of course, the day of the Lord has been talked about in the Bible all throughout history. Both in the Old and New Testament. Through the prophets Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Amos. And then we also see it in the New Testament in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians and Romans. And all the books that speak about God's coming and return. And the day of the Lord that we will meet. And last week we talked about what that day was going to be like. It's going to be cataclysmic. It's going to be fire. It's going to be a melting. Similar to what we hear about what happened at Hiroshima and Nagasaki when the atom bomb was dropped and how everything melted away. And this is not going to come because somebody, a human being, pushed a button. But God is going to melt the elements away and that we will stand for who we are. And one of the things that Peter wants us to remember and wanted his people to remember that these false teachers, what they were teaching was not true. In fact, Christ's judgment will come and he will judge everyone according to what they have done and that the Christians will be judged for getting rewards. But those who don't believe in Jesus Christ, they will be judged and will sent to their sentence, which is eternal hell. And Peter wants us to remember and his people to remember that Christ's return to judgment is going to absolutely, absolutely certain. And that his ter- return will be unexpected. It's going to be a disastrous day and it's going to be sudden. And those who don't repent will have to pay for their sins. And then he also talks about the return that no one will be given a chance, a second chance to get out of it. That once Christ returns, it is it And the final judgment will come and we'll see the true justice done. How many times have you seen it when we watched on TV where we've seen people that got off with murder and it made us angry and yet God promises in that day they will pay for what they have done and justice will be finally served and that he will return to destroy all the proud works that people thought were going to make work with God and do not make it at all. And now today, Peter's first point, what he speaks about in this last chapter as we close out his book, and about the return of his judgment and the frightening day that will come. What does he say? And he asks a good question. What sort of people ought we to be? How does Christ going to find us when he returns and brings about this judgment? judgment? And notice what he says. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for the hastening of the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. Now, Peter calls them to be holy. Holy people, he means set apart, very different than the world. That we don't live life and we don't do things like the rest of the world does. In fact, he speaks about it again and again, and he talks about conduct and behavior. Your holy life, your set-apartness, showing that you're Jesus, shows by the actions that you take, the words that you say, and how you handle situations. And he says, keep your behavior excellent, distinct from the world. We don't want to be going around looking like weirdos. That's not his point here. He wants us to look like people who have their heads together and know what they're doing, and they're doing good and righteous things at the end of time, and that we're distinct from the rest of the evil world. We're not weird in the sense that we try to look weird and stupid. No, we are looking like we know what we're doing, that we have our act together, and we're not going to take the world's way of doing it in a sinful pattern. And the reason why, he says, is because of this godliness, this holy conduct. And the reason is, is because we are in the presence of God. And we know it. And every day you and I live, we are living in the presence of God. I can remember when I was a child and thinking of when I was doing something wrong. If my mother finds me doing this, I'm scared to death Or my father would find me doing this. He would beat me silly. Well, this is what we live. We live every day in the presence of God. And as you and I live our lives and we live in the presence of God, we will live differently. We will act differently. We will say things differently. Peter, earlier on, says, you know, oftentimes in relationships, it's foolishness that we go insult for insult. We go tit for tat when we're in an argument and we're discussing something. And the only thing that that does is that when we do that, we just keep on going up levels. And we keep on trying to find things that will hurt people to get them to stop. And they will find the next thing. And it keeps on going and escalates. And it destroys the very thing that God brought together, which is a relationship. And he says that insult for insult is not good. That's not holy. That doesn't please God. How would God think when you walked? In, he walked in on you and you were speaking to each other that way? And what it does, it does what the devil wants to do is to destroy what God has brought together. I've seen more marriages destroyed because of the things that are said and what people get attitudes towards each other because of the things that have been said to one another and the retaliation. And that's why Calvin, in his commentary on this, talks about our con- Conduct towards God and man should be one of holy and godly and our words should be different mixed with joy and peace and kindness and it's pertaining to life. That's what Peter is talking about here and that we're to live it in an excellent way and that our expectation is that Christ is going to come at any minute and I want him to be find me doing what is right in his eyes. You know, there's oftentimes we find people trying to find out when Christ is going to come. In the Bible, Jesus in the Gospels says, don't emphasize that. In his Gospels, what he says is that be ready. Be ready for the time and when he comes that you're found doing the will of God and doing what's right in God's eyes rather than living like you are in the world. And that's why he says, be holy. Conduct yourself in a different way than the world. And that you're to live a godly way. A way in which Jesus would act. How would Jesus act in this way? And that you're looking for the hastening of Christ's day to come. That your conversation, your behavior is very different. It's holy. It's almost like it's a worshipful experience when you're interacting with each other. Even when you're disagreeing, you can do it in Christ's love, which we're going to see in a few minutes. And the word he even uses in other translations is piety. Which means a religious experience that you can have while you're dealing with these things. And this godliness comes because we have this respect and awe for God. And we know we're living in his presence. And because we know he's with us, we're going to act differently. We're going to look at things differently. We're going to deal with things differently. And that we're going to live in forward progression towards the day of God. And the question is for you and for me, how will you be found on that day when he returns? Will you be, when he intervenes in that history, will you be found doing what the Lord wants you to do? Or will you be acting like the rest of the world? Will you be holy? Will you be kind? Will you be self-controlled? Peter talks about this whole Ending of the world. Look at what he says in verse 12. Because which the heavens will be destroyed by burning. And the elements will be in- melted by intense heat. And it sounds like almost the atomic energy. And it's not because the Chinese has pushed the button. Or the Russians have pushed the button. But God has said it's done. And it's time for my return. And it's over. Dwight Eisenhower when he first became president right after World War II in the 50s. He realized the capacity which America now held in its hand and that there were other countries and other people who will get this power of nuclear energy and nuclear power missile hits. And it feared him. He said, without a moral regeneration throughout this world, there is no hope for us as we are going to disappear one day in the dust of an atomic explosion. He feared that. And we may see atomic wars in our day, but they may only be centralized. But what Peter is talking about is that this is going to be catastrophic and it's going to be the whole world will be melted and people will stand before Almighty God and give an account. And the day of the Lord, he says, will come like a thief in the night. Not knocking on the door say, hey, we're here. But still stealthing in. And coming in upon us, then we don't even know what hit us. The kingdom of God of this world and the kingdom of this world by our Lord, as he reigns forever, will come and judge the world. You know, it's amazing. People don't know what we have as Christians when we die. Last night, I went to a house at midnight where a woman died in her bathtub of a stroke and consoled the family while we waited for the coroner to get there. This past week, we had a woman in a church, and 30 years ago when I met her, she said, I have a poor heart and I could die any day. She had been dying for 30 years, she told me, and she finally did it a week ago. But we would talk about heaven and what she had to look forward to. Right now, we have a board member who I played back with about two and a half years ago, and then The next thing I knew, I got a call from his wife and said, he's in the hospital, not breathing well. And from that time on, it's been a downhill fall. And now he's home and he's on hospice preparing to die. Frank Wonka, one of our elders. And when we talk, I'm sad for his wife, His children and grandchildren, but also there's hope and joy about what we have. And to be able to share with people, and, and at that funeral Friday, I got an opportunity to share with people, and you could tell there's some people who are like, man, they're Christians, and they know they're going to heaven, but they never heard much about heaven. And then there are other people who are like, hmm, you wonder if they're thinking that I made this story up or what. But the Bible says to us that heaven's gonna be a great place. That heaven is not gonna be some someplace we're gonna sit on a cloud and play harps. <laughs> we're gonna be busy. We're gonna be doing the work of the Lord, but it's not gonna bother us. We're gonna be in joy doing it. And, and the beauty of heaven is so spectacular. Because first, you know, as a Christian, you long to see Jesus. And that's the first thing you're going to see when you die. You're going to see Jesus face to face. And you're going to talk to him and he's going to give us the rewards for those who don't know Christ, they're going to wind up getting to go to hell. And the only one that sent them there is themselves. And what a beautiful thing when, when we see Jesus because we're going to be in this place <laughs> that's so phenomenal because we're going to see our loved ones. And the nice thing about it is it's going to be a place where there's no more pain, no more suffering, no Alzheimer's, no cancer, nobody being hateful. It's going to place where all the curses of sin, aging, is not going to be there. And we're going to have new bodies. And it's going to be a glorious thing without any of the pain and suffering. And if we want to go someplace, we don't have to take a car. We just think it and we're there. And what what a marvelous thing. And we have all of eternity to explore. And then we also, we're changed. And we don't fight anymore. And we don't have hateful things being said. And we're going to get along. That's, to me, that's just phenomenal. We're not going to have the selfishnesses of people cutting us off in cars or, or people demanding and being spiteful and all kinds of hurtful. That's all gone because we're going to have the heart of Jesus and all of our sinful patterns out of our lives and the lives of our loved ones and friends. And we're going to have deep love relationships. We say we love here, but it's not going to be. It's going to be the greatest love that we've ever experienced in all of life. That's what we got looking forward to us. And so that's why Peter says, not only be holy, but be diligent. He says this several times in the scriptures. He says, therefore, beloved, since you look at these things, be diligently to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless. And regard the patience of the Lord as salvation. Just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you as also in all his letters speaking to them of these things in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable distort. And they also, the rest of the scriptures, for their own destruction. Peter speaks here powerfully because he wants us to have diligently growing in our faith. We should really throw ourselves at life and diligently do it so that we can grow in our deeper understanding of God in our life. And dependence on him even more. That he says to us, be diligent in making sure that of our election and our calling. That you really are on board. And he says even be more diligent in doing things. Because he'll enable you. You'll see it. These are the things he wants us to be diligent about. But especially today. That we found in peace and spotless and blameless. Now the peace that he's talking to us about is that we're peace with God. And that we know how close he is to us and how intimate is. That we have this resolve inside of us that we're so peaceful. And things don't rattle us like they used to. And we have things inside of us that people can say, and they don't affect us as much because we know we have God in our hearts and that he loves us and we're very secure and we don't have to justify ourselves or our existence because God has given it to us. And that from that we can be holy, that we can be spotless without sin and that we can be blameless by God, and that we can live in this kind of purity as Christians in relationship with God. That we have this sense of desiring to do good and right and not to fulfill our desires. It's like the woman who came, she was a dignitary and came to a mine in Pennsylvania and said, Could she go in there? And they said, Sure, but this beautiful white dress is going to come out with soot and dirt and black on it. It's not going to be spotless. And the same thing is true in our lives. That we need to be discriminatory. And that we need to understand that we need to be spotless and blameless for our Lord. And that we have to be diligent to watch our own lives. So that we don't get spotted and and, and dirty with the world. Because it's so easy to get caught into the things of this world, which we're gonna look at with Peter in a few minutes. And that we're resisting temptation. The Bible tells us that we can overcome temptation. That there's no temptation in all the earth that you don't have to fall into. And that God provides ways out of them if you want it and you trust him by faith. And he'll provide a way to bear when you get the temptation coming on you full blast. And when you do stumble and fall. That we know that John tells us that if we confess it. He'll forgive us. And that we desire then to really live. And not fall into that temptation anymore. And that it comes because we've been main, we start maintaining that peace of Christ inside of our hearts. And we want what God wants and not what we want. that greatest peace treaty that has ever been put out in this whole world happened on Calvary for you and for me. And you see, this is Peter says, how should we be then? We need to be diligent. Look at yourself. Ask yourself the question. I wrestled with this the other day. You know, I've, I've been planning for my future demise. I've put a living will together and we've also... Are living trust together and we're planning for when we die and who gets what and everything and, and dealing with all these things and your possessions and you ask yourself, are these too important for me? Am I letting them overcome me? Jesus said, seek first his kingdom and all his righteous and those things will be added to you. But that I can't let them control my thinking and how I live my life and my passions. I was thinking about that the other day. What if the president starts taking away from my 403B or he starts taxing my income that I get from, and, and I don't have enough to live on? God will supply you, Dave. Don't get all wrapped up in that. God will take care of you. His wisdom is much greater. What about those times that we like to be seen by others? Or things that we do and people are impressed by. It's not important, Dave. What's important is impressing the Lord. And living for Jesus. And walking His way. The Bible here says, Therefore, beloved... Since you look for these things, be diligent to be found in peace, spotless, blameless. Not allowing yourself to be thrown around and distorted. And you see, we're to anticipate, look forward to Christ's coming. And in the meantime, hope and pray. What kind of movies are you watching, Dave? Should you watch that kind of movie and let that garbage come into your head? What kind of books are you watching or reading? What kind of friendships are you maintaining? Are they there to help you grow in Christ? Or do they tear you down? Notice what Peter says. He really likes Paul here. He says, just as also your beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you also in all his letters. This is a powerful statement letting us know that Paul's letters are actually Scripture. And that Paul writes on God's behalf through the inspiration of Scripture. And these letters... They didn't have the Bible then, so they passed these letters around and they copied them and they handed them around and they kept copies at their own church and they kept on passing it around so people would know. And you know the letters of Paul and Peter are there to help us live godly lives. That's why they were written. That's why God put them to inspired to write them out. And he says these letters are speaking in them these things and he's talking about the end of times and what's going to happen and also how do you live your life while you're waiting for Christ to return and notice what he says, Brother Paul he talks about being discriminatory you see because folks it's very easy as a Christian to get up, caught up into the wrong things and lose your perspective and that's why we read the word. That's why we go to preaching and that's why we go to teachings. That's why we listen because we know how easy it is to get caught up in, into those things. And Peter knows for sure himself how he would oftentimes go off the wrong track. And he's a leader of the church. And notice he compliments Paul. Do you know why he complimented Because Paul had the audacity and the love of Christ to go down to Antioch. Peter was living a a hypocritical life. Two times in the book of Acts, God came to him and said, Peter, you're to accept Gentiles as brothers in Christ and don't push them aside. And back in Antioch, when he shows up and there's a group of, of, of fellow Jewish Christians there, they start pulling him away from the Gentile Christians and saying, you're not to eat with them. Giving them false wisdom. And it's at that time that Paul goes down to Peter and gets right in his face and said, you hypocrite. You're not honoring the Lord here. Christ died for these guys and you should be eating with them and not hobnobbing with your Jewish Christian friends. They are not second-class citizens. They are citizens of the kingdom of God. And you're falling into a heresy. And not only did it affect Peter, but it also affected Barnabas, who got himself caught into it. And thank the Lord, Paul stood up to him and set him straight. And he has the utmost respect for Paul, Peter does. Because he set them straight. He told them the truth. He loved them enough to give them the truth. And the wisdom that God wrote through Paul helped them through that. And he says in all of his letters, Peter was the same group. And what they did was, Paul wrote, First and 2 Thessalonians, his first wave. Because there were people wondering about what would happen to their loved one now that they've died and Christ hasn't come back. Will they go to heaven still? And Paul answers that and said, man, they died in Christ. They're going to be resurrected and they're going to go to heaven with the rest of us. Then the second wave of letters he wrote. More about the second coming of Christ where Galatians and Romans and 1st and 2nd Corinthians and spoke more about what God was going to do for us and how he raised us into new life. And then he spoke again another wave of letters that were imprisoned that he wrote of Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians and Philemon in order to even clarify more and finally his final words to Timothy. 1st and 2nd Timothy and Titus, the fourth wave in which he talks about his own demise and how he's going to die. And seeing all sending these so that we have an understanding. But there are people, notice he warns, people who are unstable and untaught and they get distorted things about the end of times. And some of them do heresy. Some of them do it out of history hysteria some of them because they lack the knowledge I mean do you remember Y2K I remember Y2K and everybody there were Christians writing books that were saying when Y2K turns planes are going to fall out of the sky and all these kinds of things and Christ is going to come back and some of it was just pure heresy and some of it was basically hysteria. And there were people who used this and made a lot of money out of it. <laughs> Selling books about the future and about Y2K, which never did anything but change a digit on the computer. And I can remember Some of the very impressive Bible teachers that I would listen to fell into that. It was baloney. And we lost a couple who came to this church because he got in my face one Sunday and said, why aren't you preaching about Y2K and how the end of the world is coming and warning people? And you you, you should take an account of your preaching. I don't think anything's going to happen. You know, I don't know the day of the Lord. Only the Lord knows it. I just need to be ready. He didn't like that answer. I went down to his house to try to talk to him. And he showed me in his garage, he had all around his garage, five, five gallon cans of gas so that he'd have enough gas to run his generators when the end comes. And he had a whole basement storage of food for when this all would happen. And he had a friend that was into this prophecy stuff down at Boeing. And their church was preaching and that's where he went to. He left us because he had to go to that prophecy church and he was ready to go. And I said, well, what will happen when people come to you, your neighbors and are starving? What are you going to do? He said, I'm going to shoot them shoot them, Really? How crazy. And they were victimized by error. They left their church. We had an incident with Harold Camping and how he later on his own church was going to be raptured. Everybody else is going to be left behind and it didn't happen. All those charlatans come along. That's why we need to be diligent. Listening to the word of God and doing what we're doing. We don't know when Christ has come. I don't know it. Nobody on earth does. Jesus even said it in his own way. But what he did say is that you are to be ready. Doing the will of God in your life and in your heart when he comes whenever that is. And that we need to be diligent. You know, it's amazing how a cultist will do that. They will get to the point where they'll even make themselves the Messiah like David Koresh. And get people believing that they're the Messiah. And that's why we need to keep ourselves in the word of God. Be diligent. Remain spotless and blameless. And growing. And growing. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard so that you are not carried away with this error of unprincipled men and fall from our own steadfastness, but grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus and, Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. And what he's talking about here is that we guard our hearts by continuing to know and learn and understand God through his word. That the Holy Spirit illuminates God to our heart through the reading of his word. And he's talking about not only that we have an intellectual knowledge, a head knowledge of the Bible, and how to get to areas where this stuff talks about, But then that we have an experiential knowledge and an intimacy with Christ as we go through these things in life. That we apply the word in our experience and it becomes deeply rooted in character change in our hearts. And that we really are men and women who truly have grown in the grace. When you have a difficulty in your life and you're going through a crisis in your life, That you're not bailing out and saying, Oh, I'm giving up on God. I don't care. He had this happen to me. No, that we come to God. And we grow deeper. And grace is God giving us what we don't deserve. And he will give us this knowledge to understand those situations and a deep maturity and to live like Christ through the circumstance and weather the storm. And go through it. And not take it personally. What a wonderful thing Peter was here. An example to us. Because Peter was confronted by Paul. Embarrassed by every, in front of everybody. As a leader of the church. And did he take it personally? No. He accepted the instruction. Because he realized through the Holy Spirit. That he sinned. And he admitted he was wrong. And he needed to be corrected. And he was man enough, Holy Spirit-filled enough to admit it and say, I was wrong. And I needed to change. And thank God, Paul came along at the time he did and corrected me. And he accepted his correction. And knew it was from God and began to change his manifesto. There were several times in Peter's life that he just went running headlong with his blockhead. Not thinking. And God had to change him. And here was another episode where God changed his heart. And gave him what he needed. And it was more than a head knowledge. But it was a deep-seated character, knowledge, flaw fixer. And that that experience in the intimacy of Jesus through the Holy Spirit changed his heart to be a different person. And it's because he was willing to grow in God's grace working on his heart. See, that's what we need. Our hearts need to be accepting and receptive to the word and asking the Holy Spirit to change our characters. And and Peter uses this word that's an active imperative. That means you continually need to grow closer to Jesus and more like Jesus and dependent on Jesus. And then that grace, which is the gift of this knowledge he'll give us, that will change us and make us different people and make us new. And notice what he says here. He says, this grace and knowledge is of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He uses that three times in this book. Lord, that he's the sovereign over everything and even my heart. He's the ruler, Jehovah God, over me. And I will change for him because he's my master. And I will make those changes because he's working on me. And that he's my savior. The second word he uses to describe Jesus, which means he delivers me from myself and my sinful past. And then the promise that comes with the word Jesus, that it's Jesus who does it, and it's Jesus, and Jesus' name in Matthew means, explained to us is that Jesus saves, that he's the Savior who does this. Jesus the Christ, the one who's been prophesied about thousands of years. And he uses those four terms to to, to, to define to us who the one it is that works us over and gives us that life and that grace to change and that we are given this grace to change, not to feel better about ourselves, not to feel happier, not to feel fulfilled, not to feel significant. We'll hear that from other preachers. And believe me, that will come as you grow. But the reason why we change is because we're given the greatest thing we could ever do in all of eternity. And that is to give him glory. To him be the glory both now to the day of eternity. To give him glory. There's no greater thing you can do or I can do in all of our lives than to bring glory and honor to the name of Jesus. And that he is the one. Isaiah says it so well. He says, I am the Lord. That is my name. And my glory I will not give to anyone else or to another. And we are given the responsibility and the privilege to give that glory to him. And we need to see that. And we need to see that we don't need to cover up our sin, we don't need to hide ourselves, we just need to grow in that grace and let his truth change us into the likeness of Jesus. And be willing to let him do that and not cover it up. Huh. I read a cute story. A guy who painted a church and he told the pastor he'll give him the lowest bid and he did. And so the pastor went with him because the budget was low. And while the guy was painting, he thinned the paint. And as he was painting on the church, it started raining and the paint was washing off as fast as he put it on. And then a thunderbolt hit. And a loud voice came out and it said, repaint, repaint and thin no more. Well, the Bible here is calling us and calling the church at large throughout the world. That we're to repent and admit before God that we've been doing it wrong and we need to follow him. And that we don't thin the word of God. The word of God is absolute. It does not change. Isaiah said that. He says, the grass whizzes, the flower fades, but the word of God lasts forever. And no matter how we try to thin it down in our society, it is not going to change. No matter if we have committees and churches saying it does, it does not. It lasts forever. And we can't thin it down and we need to repent from that. And then we need to do is to go and sin no more and live out this word, both in our lives and in our world. And be honest with the world, no matter how painful it is, of the truth of God's word and what it says. Let's pray together. Lord, I just thank you for your word. We are so blessed to have the book before us that can change us radically. And I pray, Jesus Christ, that we leave here today committed to live holy lives different than all the world and that we're diligent to remain spotless And that we diligently seek you with our hearts and our minds. And that we grow every day deeper. And no matter what circumstance that comes our way, that we go at it with you. And that we trust you. And that we learn and grow from those circumstances. To look more like you, Jesus, in our hearts and in our lives and the way we live. Jesus, help us. We know we can do this by your power in our lives through the Holy Spirit. We thank you for that. And it's in your name we pray that. Amen. Let's close with our benediction and singing, Love Lifted Me. Please stand. And now go in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, your Father, and the power of the Holy Spirit, now and forever. Amen.